electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Julia Borston, and you're listening to CNBC's Tech Check. Our show is live weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. Thursday morning and welcome to Tech Check. I'm Deirdre Boza with Carl Quintanilla and Julia Borston. John has the morning off. Today, Qualcomm surges Roku tanks, plus earnings from Activision, Take-Two, and Etsy. Then Ford wants to beat Tesla at its own game. The CFO will break down its $30 billion spending plan this hour. And later, Dan Niles makes the case for why Apple is the most overpriced tech stock out there. Carl. First up, our feed's going to start with Qualcomm today. Big earnings beat, strong guidance, a 56% rise in smartphone chip sales, powering those shares up almost 12% today. It's turning the street bullish, too. Goldman ups to a buy this morning, says there's still a 40% upside to the stock. Piper moves Qualcomm to its top large cap pick. Also overweight and takes its price target to 190 We talked to Cristiano Amon later, earlier this morning in the nine. Take a listen. Bye. All counts. Our diversification strategy is working. And it's uh, it's working because at the end of the day, the market is moving to a roadmap, winning with technology. And uh, if 38 percent, you know, doesn't indicate that the diversification is really working, I don't know what it does it. But the important thing to answer your question is we have now many great vectors of growth in addition to handsets. Shares of Qualcomm, as we said, up uh, almost 12% today. And by the way, NVIDIA, as David was just saying, up again today, the best performing tech stock so far this year, Deirdre, as the market really does seem to be coming around to understand these structural issues in which chips are getting used, whether it's the metaverse or better use in cars or the classic chip uh, smartphone business, uh, the street's really gotten positive. Yeah, and for Qualcomm, the story here was really one of diversification, which perhaps prior to the chip shortage was seen as complicated, but paying off 38 percent of revenue coming from categories other than modem chips for smartphone. And of course, uh, you mentioned this, Carl, metaverse, the new sort of AI buzzword for CEOs these days. Uh, Julia, I was watching the interview with a friend who doesn't really follow Qualcomm, but she said this conversation sounds like it's from the Matrix. He was talking about AR, VR devices and what I thought was so interesting, too, noting that this market could eventually be as big as the smartphone market, if you think that everyone with a smartphone will eventually have an AR or VR device. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Diversification, but also he was talking about all these growth vectors, Deirdre, and it's really important to note that they have been investing in creating the chips for AR, VR headsets for years now. Of course, now we're calling Facebook meta. We're talking about the metaverse in the context of Microsoft as well. But Cristiano Oman making it very clear in that interview he did on CNBC this morning that they have been 
putting their chips into these devices that all 50 devices, whether it's AR or VR headsets, whether they're for consumers or for enterprise, include their chips and that this is going to be a huge growth driver for them in addition to, of course, smartphones and autos. So, Carl, I think it's kind of exciting to think about how this could be uh, an accelerator for a number of companies, not just the ones like Facebook and Microsoft who have been out there talking about wanting to create the software and hardware, but also the component makers as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think there is still that lingering risk of insourcing. Of course, we saw it classically with uh, Apple and Intel's business. Uh, and this morning, VW, uh, Julia, is talking about the long-term need to insource chips because they just don't want to make that a third-party issue and be so reliant uh, once the supply chain gets a little squirrely. Uh, so that will, there will be losers if, in fact, they do lose some business to companies that get more vertical over time. Yeah, and it does seem, though, looking at those Qualcomm uh, guidance numbers that they're feeling more confident that they can protect themselves from some of those shortages we've seen to hit some of the other stocks much worse. Now, shifting gears over to Roku. That stock falling this morning after the company guided to lower fourth quarter revenue than expected. And third quarter revenue was a slight miss. There was another disappointment as well. Active accounts and streaming hours not growing as fast as analysts had anticipated. One key factor behind all those things, global supply chain disruptions hitting player sales, which fell 26 percent year over year, and supply chain issues also impacting advertising. CEO Anthony Wood and CFO Steve Loudon telling shareholders that these headwinds will weigh on the fourth quarter and will likely carry over into next year. But they are optimistic about the longer term opportunity and consumers continuing to shift over to streaming and advertisers moving onto their platform as well. And on the upside, average revenue per user did beat expectations in the quarter, growing by nearly 50%, topping $40 for the first time. So guys, there are definitely signs of strength, but it's remarkable to see that issue of supply chain impact so many different parts of Roku's business, Deirdre. And Julia, no commentary on the upcoming expiration of the YouTube app separate from the YouTube TV app, which could you know, hurt growth down the road, user growth. Roku's strength, Carl, has really been as this aggregator, the Switzerland of streaming, if you want to call it, by bringing all of the other content on. But we know that it's moving into this space and potentially losing YouTube and, who knows, Amazon Prime. That could weigh going forward. Uh, yep. Yeah. And, uh, Julia, you did a great curtain raiser on this yesterday, talking about the, the challenges of the supply chain, which certainly came home to roost, but also maybe some lingering worries about the advertising business after what we heard from the likes of Snap. And we've talked about it at length on this show, uh, the less marginal need to advertise if, in fact, you're worried about putting your goods on shelves. Yeah, less marginal need to advertise. They called out consumer products companies, also automakers. But there's also this question, Deirdre, of if they could just get more advertisers to come over onto their platform and to mm -hmm. realize that it's a better platform for targeting than traditional TV. And also, D, remember when you're looking at the fact that companies like Facebook are having a hard time targeting, maybe they can get some of those advertisers onto their platform as well. Yeah, it's a good point, and it's a good place to start with Dan Nile, especially in light of those Apple privacy changes. We were coming fresh off of our CNBC Pro Talk yesterday, and Dan, i got to start with Apple. Our pro subscribers heard it yesterday, your reasoning, but tell it to our broader audience. You actually call Apple, quote, the most overpriced tech stock that exists. Tell us why. Yeah, I mean, in terms of big cap tech, it, it clearly is in my mind, because if you look at it, 
in terms of how much they're growing relative to the multiple, it just doesn't make any sense right relative to the other mega caps. So Apple's revenues compounded over the last five years, including this calendar year, because we only have about a quarter left, is growing about 11%. Microsoft is growing about 15% over this time. Google's at 23, Netflix is at 27, Amazon's at 28, and Facebook, given all the discussion about the metaverse, they've grown revenues compounded at 34%. Well, you can buy both Facebook and Google at a lower multiple than Apple, And don't forget, Apple's a massive pandemic beneficiary. And so for them, their iPhone revenues over the last five years, fiscal 15 to fiscal 20, were down 11% over five years before you had this pandemic benefit. iPad, Mac sales were also down year over year before the pandemic hit. So, you know, for me, it's we like Facebook a lot. We like Google a lot. They're growing two to three times faster, and you can buy them at a lower multiple but with faster growth rates in the future. And we haven't even gotten into the risks around privacy and what that does to their app store take rates. Right, Dan. Then how much weight do you put into the services piece of the Apple story? I know still a relatively small portion of revenue, but if you think that during the pandemic they were a beneficiary and they were able to grow that installed user base, could that not provide greater than expected growth? Well, don't forget, I mean, that's the whole reason the multiple's gone up so much despite the growth that they've shown. So if you're looking forward in time, I think it's pretty clear that all of these companies are trying to get the take rates down. Um, They had that ruling against them with Epic. And you've got pressure across the globe, not just from Europe, but also in the U.S. in terms of what they're charging, that 30 percent rate up front. If those numbers start to come down, this multiple is going to have a big problem because their core hardware business is, you know, flat to declining. And that's just because of, you know, four billion people on the planet have smartphones. So that's the big risk. And that's only going one direction. It's going lower. It's not going to go higher with those take rates. Dan, I'm curious about your thoughts on this clash that we've been talking about between Apple and Facebook. First, whether or not you think that Apple's operating system changes are going to continue to challenge Facebook and others through next year. And also whether you think Apple's really going to be investing heavily in the metaverse space that Facebook has staked such a claim in now. Yeah, I mean, I you have to sort of step back. The good news is that a lot of these companies have gone through and reset their targets. So for Facebook, for example, you're now looking at 3% EPS growth as the forecast for next year. I'd be shocked if the number wasn't a lot better than that. Um, Because Facebook, when they report their September quarter, they always guide out and then they lay out what their expenses are. I don't think they've ever come in at the mid to high end of expenses. They've always come in sort of mid or even below the expense guide they've given despite the fact that the revenues typically come in higher. So I think, you know, from that perspective, Facebook is clearly one you want to look at if we're talking about the metaverse and all those great things. But you're right. From Apple's point of view, they're going to have to think about that. If that's the next step, they're going to have to think about how to invest in that space. And and that's going to be expensive for them if that's the path that they're going to go down. And I think that's kind of where every company is headed. Yeah, Dan, I'm also curious to get your thoughts on Viacom CBS. I know you were bullish going into earnings. They reported this morning the stock is trading lower. What's your outlook now? Yeah, I mean, it, it's a very interesting tape. 
If you have momentum, there's no limit to what your stock can do, it seems like these days, whether you're talking Avis or Tesla or, you know, GameStop, AMC, etc. And if you're sort of in that category where people go, well, you're not going to do well, then the stock just sort of languishes until it finally decides to move. If you look at Viacom, their streaming business is close to 15% of revenues. It was up over 60% in the quarter. But investors sort of have this view, well, Netflix is going to win, Disney's going to win, these guys, Discovery, AMC, you know, you pick it, everybody else is going to lose. And I just don't think that's the case. I think next year, you're going to see uh, Viacom get into the international markets. You're going to see that subscriber momentum continue. And they're going to be another contender, I think, in the space. At a 9 PE relative to a Disney or a, a Netflix PE in the 50s, you know, to me, this is pretty easy to get very excited about relative to other names in the space. Dan, to circle you back to Apple, I'm just looking back at some of the, the tweets I've written over, since you're on your past appearances. And you've been repeatedly kind of skeptical about um, higher ASPs leading to lower service revenue. You didn't like it when they pulled some disclosure on unit uh, sales. Uh, in March of last year, at, at a very good moment, you said, who really feels rich enough right now to afford a $1,000 iPhone? Uh, but I wonder, is the, the picture obviously is different than it was in March of last year. And is some of that long-term skepticism just haunting these current calls of yours? Um, no, I mean, this Apple, you got to remember, we're a hedge fund. And we, as we've talked about before, Carl, like we go long, we go short. Um, we've made money on the short side on Apple this year. We've made money on the long side. I wish all my stocks were doing as well for us as Apple is. Um, but remember, it's... Apple has benefited from the pandemic. Their iPhone revenues went from down year over year to up 66% year over year in the March quarter, and it's decelerating since then. But the long-term trend in smartphone units, you've had global smartphone units down, you know, three to four years in a row before the pandemic hit. So that's the long-term backdrop you have. And what's really happened is the multiple's gone up a lot. So from my perspective right now, investors are bullish because they go, oh, Apple said we've foregone $6 billion in revenues, and so we're going to get that back. So beginning of next year is going to be better than seasonal. But a lot of us have gone out and bought new iPhones, iPads, Macs, et cetera, during the pandemic. So you can work from home, or in my case, my kids being at home, needing some of those devices. Sure. So that's going to give back. Don't forget, Amazon's missed two quarters in a row. Netflix missed two subscriber numbers in a row. You know, you've gone through a lot of the other companies that are giving back. Apple wasn't doing well on a revenue basis before. The multiple is expanding just like it is for the overall market. But that's different than how their core business is doing. And I think that's an important distinction to make. Yeah, it's also different from what others who are also cautious are saying. And that is largely about um, the App Store risks to the model there, not just here, but in the European Union. This 10K the other day, which even made Morgan Stanley a little bit, little bit uh, quizzical. I wonder, that, that, but that, is that your chief concern or is it, is it really units? Well, it, it, it's really all of the above, because what I try to remind people, and this is, you know, we, I think we talked about Amazon before they reported and Facebook and, you know, some of the concerns around advertising. You have to remember what the trend was before the pandemic and what the pandemic did to those trends and then what the normal is going to be. On top of it, the biggest risk, arguably, is what's going on with 
the app store fees because that's really driven the multiple because people sort of had this narrative of, well, Apple's going to be this big toll taker and charge all these companies all this money. And, you know, that's going to be very sticky. Well, if all of a sudden you're going to have to cut those fees, mm -hmm. that's a very large problem because that's a big portion of the reason the multiple's gone up so much is, you know, they have over a billion uh, people using iPhones. And so you're going to be able to take a toll on all of that for any services they get. If that starts to change, you've got a big problem with the multiple looking forward because that's very profitable mm -hmm. business relative to hardware margins as well. Right. Fits into that services piece. Uh, Dan, we're kind of talking here about mega cap techs as sort of this value play. And if you think that the Fed is going to raise interest rates, have to raise interest rates next year, that may fit into the idea of growth at a reasonable cost and not growth at any cost, right? <laughs> I'm yeah, stealing growth at from any you. Price for, yes, you, you're still, you stole my line from yesterday. Yeah. So, you know, right now it's growth at any price. Multiples don't matter. You don't need to worry what valuations are. Stocks going up, just keep buying it because it's going to keep going higher. And, and that really works well when you've got a Fed where, you know, the balance sheet's up 20% year over year. They've added $4.4 trillion in stimulus over a year and a half since the pandemic. In an environment where rates start to go up, I think people are going to start to look at growth at a reasonable price. And so that's why for us, you know, Google and a Facebook are much more appealing than an Apple is. We're looking at a Viacom and streaming for nine times P.E. And so, you know, as rates go higher, companies that aren't making profits, they're going to be, I think, looked at a lot more critically and you're going to start to see things starting to change, I think, as we get into next year. Because I 100 percent believe the Fed's going to raise rates multiple times next year because inflation is going to just stay higher than what people think. And all central banks are sort of headed down that path one way or the other. And that's going to make you look at you know, market cap to GDP for the U.S. stock market sitting at two times and go, wow, the 50-year average is 0.8. Peak of the tech bubble is 1.4. Google and Facebook look really interesting at near market multiples with two to three times the growth relative to some other names that aren't seeing that. Right. And Dan, just got to note, one of your other stock picks, so we got to talk about this another time, is the real real, um, which is I'm curious how that fits into your thesis, but we'll save that for next time. Dan Niles, thank you very much for joining us. We'll talk to you again soon. My pleasure. Meantime, uh, you thought Tesla was having a big year? Ford is also uh, more than double. The CFO is going to join us on the other side of this break as they buy back some of this debt. Tech Check is back in two. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at 3 a.m. The office was shocked. <laughs> That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. <laughs> I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones... Our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC.
Let's get a gut check on gaming stocks. Take-Two Interactive and EA Electronic Arts both getting a pop this morning on strong results, both up more than 3%. As both companies raise their full-year outlooks, NDP data shows overall consumer spending on video games was up 7% year-over-year in the last quarter. Though shares are not having a great year. Look at a longer chart. All three major publishers in the red since January. Electronic Arts, the top performer. And while Activision shares have done the worst, it's still not cheap. It trades at a higher valuation with a price-to-sales ratio of 8.9. Take twos, closer to six, and EA, seven, Phil. Carl. Uh, yeah, one Phil's of the next. worst stocks uh, of the year so far. Uh, meantime, Ford's planning to spend nearly $30 billion on the development and manufacturing of EVs. Phil LeBeau's got the CFO in a first on CNBC interview. Hi, Phil. Hey, Carl, let's bring in John Lawler. He is the CFO of the Ford Motor Company, joining us today uh, to discuss a number of initiatives that you just announced this morning. Uh, John, let's start first off with the one that I think investors are, are most focused on, which is the decision to buy back up to $5 billion in high-yield bonds. These were bonds you took out at the beginning of the pandemic to ensure liquidity. Um, this is a big move, and a lot of people say a smart move. Does it get you closer to investment-grade rating? Yeah, absolutely. We think so. You know, we're executing our plan. You're seeing that come through the performance of the business. And so now it's time to deleverage the balance sheet, reduce our ex interest expense going forward. And with that, you know, we think it's another good step towards uh, investment grades. So absolutely, it's a positive for us. John, your capital expenditures over the next four years, now you've already said you're going to put $30 billion approximately into electric and autonomous vehicle development and manufacturing. Uh, $15 billion of that is capital expenditures uh, that you guys also announced last week. Is this the high watermark or do you look at this rate of investment and say, we don't know what the future holds, but we're pretty certain we're going to have to continue investing at least at this rate once you get back beyond 2025. Yeah, I think that that that's just it. You know, we're going to invest whatever it takes to drive our growth initiatives on battery electric vehicles and our connected uh, vehicles. So right now, you know, we've announced the $30 billion for BEVs. We said uh, last week that we'd invest half of that would be in capital expenditures. And what you're going to see is a run rate of roughly about $7 billion a year in cap expenditures. Now, if we need to invest more because we have good growth opportunities that we think will give us a great return, we'll do that. We're not capital constrained. We have the money to invest in our growth initiatives. And uh, as you see now, we're going to work on the balance sheet and deleverage that. So we're going to make the moves we need to make to drive this growth plan and, and continue to execute our uh, Ford Plus plan. John, the other piece of news from you guys this morning is essentially an ESG financing plan. Basically, you guys saying, hey, we've got a framework for funding future environmental and sustainability uh, investments, including potentially issuing up to $1 billion in a green bond. Is that how you're going to likely pay for some of these EV and AV projects in the future? Well, a lot of the uh, funding for our investments will come from free cash flows in our operations. But this framework that we've announced, the first of a kind for US OEM, is, is really positive because we get to tie our sustainability plans and actions directly to how we're going to approach the capital markets. And we'll have transparency straight through to what actions actually underpin any financings that we take around clean, clean manufacturing and clean transportation or work we might be doing to, you know, make people's lives better and under, 
underserved communities or improved communities around, uh, you know, our footprint areas where we have our facilities and our, our offices. So we really see this as a positive framework because we're seeing a lot of interest from asset managers in this space. And so with this framework, we think it's going to be a positive for us to be able to satisfy the needs that they have and also bring us some lower cost financing uh, for us as a company and lower our overall uh, cost of debt. Hey, John, it's Deirdre. I wonder if Ford can move even further down the supply chain model like Tesla has done by producing potentially your own parts and potentially batteries. Do you foresee even eventually skipping the dealership model to increase your margins? So when you look at what we've learned from the uh, chip shortage, we're definitely going down into the supply chain. We're understanding where capacities down, are down at the, the fab for semiconductors. Uh, we're looking at securing our capacity down at that level and then working back up through the supply chain. So you're seeing that on you know uh, semiconductor chips, but we need to look at memory chips. We need to look at batteries. All of our advanced componentry, we are going to go much deeper into the supply chain. And we'll even look at vertical integration if we need to, if we think that's the right move for the business. So we're, we're busy changing how how we're looking at procurement, how we're looking at design, uh, learning from this situation and making those adjustments. So I think we'll have a much better approach as we move forward. John, interesting debate going on right now regarding EVs and tax credits and what's really necessary uh, to grow the market. Obviously, uh, the economics of EVs are getting better all the time. Uh, demand is already outpacing supply. Um, do you think they're deserved? Is it, I mean, separate from the infrastructure part of chargers, let's say, do consumers need to be encouraged at all beyond what they're already doing? Well, we're seeing great demands as it is today for our battery electric vehicles. Mustang Mach-E, we think demand for that's over 200,000 units a year. Uh, we have 160,000 reservations for the Lightning. So we see demand being strong for these vehicles. Uh, E-Transit, our electric van that we'll be uh, have out next year, that's sold out as well. But I also think that when you look around the world and you see where governments heads have supported the transition to electric vehicles, you see adoption rate being much quicker. So I think it's a combination of both that's going to allow us to move forward and meet our commitments as far as CO2 and uh, some of the stakes that we've put in the ground to, to move forward on that front. John, it's Phil again. Uh, yesterday, you guys announced to all of your salaried employees uh, here in the U.S. that uh, they should be or will be required to be vaccinated uh, by December 8th, or they could potentially be facing some type of an unpaid leave. How many people right now, what percentage of your salary employees are vaccinated at Ford? And are you concerned that there's the potential for some hiccups uh, as you get towards December 8th and you may have a sizable contingent of employees who are not vaccinated? All right. Well, the well-being and, and safety of our employees is our first priority. 84% of our salaried employees as of now are vaccinated. And so we're a federal contractor, so we have to comply with the rules. And that means that by December 8th, a majority of our salaried workforce needs to be vaccinated. And, you know, if those that don't have accommodation for either a medical reason or religious reasons aren't vaccinated, they could be facing unpaid leave. So we'll have to continue to work this. But our goal is to have, you know, our our employees vaccinated, safe environment for them, and work through that as positively as we can. John Lawler, CFO of the Ford Motor Company, joining us today from the company's headquarters. I believe he's at the company's headquarters in Dearborn. John, thank you very much. Deirdre, I will send it back to you. But before I send it back to you, I want to show a chart of Ford over the last 20 years. You might be saying, why are we looking at Ford 20 years ago? 
Well, shares last top $19, and they briefly traded above $19 today, but the last time they closed above $19, September 10th, the day before 9-11. Jack Nasser was the CEO back then. Deirdre, back to you. <laughs> Thanks. I'm focusing on that 16.8% number. That's its return in 20 years, too. Phil, thanks for bringing that interview to us and those facts. Speaking of EVs, let's get a look at NEO. Deutsche says the stock is one of its top short-term picks, despite having materially underperformed just about all of its closest peers for the past three months. They're raising their price target to 70 bucks from 60. Shares are down 7% since August versus significant gains from competitors like Tesla and Xpeng. Deutsche mainly attributing the slump to NEO's struggles with the chip shortage and a lack of new products. Though the ramp up in marketing of its new flagship ET7 sedan and the unveiling of other new products and tech at Neo Day is expected to be the catalyst that Neo needs to turn this thing around. Shares are rallying a little this morning. They're up nearly three and a half percent, Julia. And after the break, never before seen deposition tapes of Elizabeth Holmes will be live at that courthouse. Plus, watch NVIDIA, Wells Fargo hike that price target almost $100 to 320, like the metaverse opportunity there, and a lot more tech tech is straight ahead. Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until that presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case unexplainable. It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? <clears throat> the real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com. Designed for work. Welcome back to Tech Check. I'm Carl Quintanilla with Deirdre Bosa and Julia Borston. Uh, NASDAQ S&P did hit some all-time highs again this morning, uh, but they're well off the session highs. Dow's holding 36K. We'll get more on the sectors in a moment. But first, a news update with Sue Herrera. Hi, Sue. Hello, Carl. Hello, everybody. Here's what's happening at this hour. Moderna shares down more than 15 percent. The vaccine maker suffering production problems with its COVID shots and sharply lowering its sales guidance. People going back to the gym, helping Planet Fitness blow past estimates. The shares are up 9 percent. The company reporting its highest ever third quarter net member growth. Some key economic reports out as well this morning. Worker productivity posting the biggest quarterly decline since 1981 as labor costs surged. Weekly jobless claims fell again to a new pandemic low. And the U.S. trade deficit jumped to a record $80.9 billion in September thanks to a sharp drop in exports. And tens of millions of workers have until January 4th to get vaccinated or submit to weekly COVID testing. The White House issuing new guidelines earlier this morning. Those rules apply to firms with 100 or more employees. Companies face fines of up to $14,000 for each worker who does not comply. And most healthcare workers must get at least one shot or an exemption by December 5th with no provision for testing. You are up to date. I'll see you again in an hour. Carl, back to you. All right, Sue, thanks very much. Meantime, Etsy shares up double digits today after some strong earnings with another consumer play, Square, coming after the bell. That's an all-time high on Etsy. Mike Santoli is with us looking at this growing divergence within tech, Mike. Yeah, Carl, actually Etsy and Square both within groups that in general have been the have-nots within tech. If you look at the uh, e-commerce-related ETF, iBuy, as well as fintech, iPay, 
technically mobile payments ETF. They've actually been significant laggards all year. You see these uh, are the, uh, the downside lines on the chart. In contrast, you have semis and software. Of course, software dominated by Salesforce and Microsoft as a sector. And the really aggressive move in the semis suggests the money flowing toward more kind of enterprise and cyclically geared type parts of tech. Now, that's not necessarily the way it's going to stay. I think it's worth looking at, uh, at these groups here. They obviously were pandemic uh, beneficiaries in terms of e-commerce and fintech, although the payments area is very interesting because it's been profoundly weak, even Visa and MasterCard. I don't know if it's too much capital crowding into that area, whether it is things like, you know, Affirm and these other disruptors maybe uh, kind of knocking them off course in terms of their moats. But that's something to watch as we get Square's numbers later to see if they confirm, because Square's been holding up better than PayPal as a stock. We'll see if that changes after the, after the close today, guys. I've noticed that. And when you talk about disruptors, certainly Square's still making some big moves on that front. Uh, by now, pay later. Thanks for that, Mike. Yeah. Meanwhile, check out shares of Kindrel also. IBM completing its spin-off, spinning off of that legacy infrastructure business today. Now trades on the New York Stock Exchange under ticker KD. Shares are down more than 3.5%. We'll be right back. Stay with us. News this morning. Alphabet is pursuing a new contract with the Pentagon, and this coming just three years after employee opposition forced the company to abandon its project Maven military business. Now, this is Google's cloud business trying to get in on the mix on the next incarnation of that $10 billion Jedi Pentagon contract. We've talked about it a lot. It was the contract that was supposed to go to Amazon, then went to Microsoft and was eventually scrapped entirely after legal battles. Multiple reports describe Alphabet's push for this business as quote, aggressive. And obviously, Carl, this would help the growth of its share of the cloud market. It still lags behind Microsoft and Amazon significantly. But of course, you got to wonder at what cost in terms of employee dissatisfaction, another theme that Alphabet has been dealing with over the last few years. Uh, Absolutely. We'll watch for that. Meanwhile, we've yet to hear a word from Elizabeth Holmes in court uh, now nine weeks into her trial in San Jose. The question is, will she take the stand in her own defense? CNBC's Yasmin Coram, who's been there every day, has obtained some never before seen deposition tapes and put this story together. She was the world's youngest self-made female billionaire who was never at a loss for words. But as you'll see, In this nearly four-hour deposition obtained by CNBC, it was a much different Elizabeth Holmes who hardly said anything. Yes. The date, June 27, 2018, just 12 days after Holmes, the founder and CEO of Theranos, and company president Sonny Balwani were indicted on charges of fraud and conspiracy to commit wire fraud. Both have pleaded not guilty. No. Listen as Holmes repeatedly takes the fifth on advice of counsel while being deposed by an attorney representing late-stage Theranos investors who sued her, the company, and Balwani. Are you going to follow his instruction not to answer? Yes, I'm going to follow my counsel's instruction. I'm going to follow my counsel's instructions. following his instruction. Same instruction. Same response. Holmes won't even acknowledge that it's her when shown an appearance on CNBC's Mad Money. Do you recognize you on that video? Same instruction. That investor lawsuit ended with a confidential settlement. If Holmes does take the stand in her own defense, she won't be allowed to take the fifth. And she'll likely face a barrage of questions from prosecutors about what she told investors and patients. Questions she answered in detail in this SEC deposition from 2017. 
Did you ever tell investors or potential investors in 2013 or 2014 that Theranos had developed proprietary <coughs> devices that could conduct all of the blood tests that a central lab con could conduct using a few drops of blood and that those devices were ready for patient testing? I don't know that we said it in those words, um, but generally that was what we were working to do with many labs going into the FDA in that time frame. Holmes's defense has signaled it's Balwani, her ex-boyfriend, who's to blame, which he strongly denies. But in 2017, Holmes is seen acknowledging that at the end of the day, she was the one in charge. Okay, but were you the decision maker on behalf of Theranos, and did you sign the Walgreens contract or the amendment? I, I, I did. I signed many of the Walgreens agreements. I don't know if I signed all of them. Um, and yes, I mean, I'm, I'm the CEO. I'm the ultimate decision maker for the company. Attorneys for Holmes did not respond to CNBC's request for comment on these tapes or whether she'll take the stand. We all know the expression, silence is golden, but it could be the opposite, depending on who you're talking to in this case. Elizabeth Holmes has not spoken in court yet. She wears a mask. That could play in her favor with the jury. They have not been able to see any sort of emotion from her, so they might see her as a sympathetic character that's just sitting there. Now, legal experts tell me that it's very risky to put Elizabeth Holmes on the stand, but her lawyers might do it if they feel like they're losing the case. Now, Julia, that would open her up to the government using her own words against her. Oh, Yasmin, fascinating video, and we cannot wait to see what happens next. Thanks so much. And after the break, scooter startup Bird goes public in a multi-billion dollar SPAC deal. The stock is down 10% in early trading. The CEO joins us next right here on Tech Tech. Our guide at the midpoint says that we're going to grow in the fourth quarter 146% over where we were in the fourth quarter of 2019 before the pandemic. So what it shows is people had to turn to Etsy uh, over the past year, they are choosing to come back even more uh, as we move forward. That was Etsy CEO Josh Silverman on Squawk Box this morning, arguing his pandemic gains. Well, he says they're sticking. That stock is surging this morning after the company beat estimates, though Etsy did issue a weaker forecast than expected going into the holiday season. This stock has finally overtaken its highs from earlier on in the year, trading at a new all-time high. Analysts there largely bullish despite that Q4 guide and the move that it has already made. BTIG upping its price target to $260. And we've already taken out that level this morning. We're at 273 at the moment. So they're going to have to get back to work. Says the stock is, quote, still rocking and rolling and massive 2020 gains are here to stay. So it's a post-pandemic, darling, too, I suppose, Carl. Yeah, fascinating reversal today, Dee. Uh, we continue to watch the Zillow story as well. It's abandoned, of course, its home flipping business, lays off a quarter of its workforce. Kathy Wood's ARC funds had been a buyer on weakness, buying shares Tuesday as the stock sunk. But yesterday, Wood changed her position significantly, selling nearly 3 million shares, cutting ARC stake by 40%, and joins a chorus of analysts on the buy side and sell side, throwing in the towel on ZG. We're back in a moment. Electric scooter company Bird is making its public debut at the New York Stock Exchange today. The company just announcing it has completed its SPAC merger. And joining us now from the NYSE is Bird's founder and CEO, Travis Vanderzanden. Travis, thanks so much for joining us this morning. Now, your stock, BRDS, trading down about 10% this morning. 
What's your message to investors about what's next for the company? Well, look, I know, uh, you know, the stock price is going to be volatile in these in these early days. I mean, I know we're up, I think, 14 percent yesterday and down 10 percent today. I think, you know, for me, I don't pay close attention to it. I've, you know, talked to the company about this. We expect ups and downs, but really the whole company is focused on execution, long term execution, you know, really uh, beating the forecast. And that's really what matters is taking more electric scooters, more electric bikes to cities all over the world. Now, Travis, talk to us a little bit about the competitive landscape. Lyft just reported a 51 percent increase in the number of active riders. Of course, there's also Lime, which is backed by Uber. I've seen a lot of Lime uh, scooters in my neighborhood recently. I'm wondering if you are concerned about consolidation among your rivals. Yeah, you know, there's a a few players in the category doing electric scooters and electric bikes. Um, But really, you know, when you Bird's going after the 60% of all trips in a city that are five miles or less. So we're looking at a massive, massive market opportunity. You know, some estimates put it at $800 billion TAM in this, in this market. Uh, and when you think about 60% of all trips in a city, Bird and our competitors are going after a massive market, whereas most of the capital in the electric vehicle category is going for the other 40% of trips, whether that's Tesla or Rivian uh, or even Ford, who I know was on earlier. Um, Bird is going after this uh, massive opportunity, and it's way less competitive than the electric car space. Hey, Travis, good to see you. It's Deirdre. I wonder why you went the SPAC route instead of a traditional IPO, especially when there are public comps in the sh- sharing economy to, for sort of investors to look at. Um, did you think that you'd get more money, a better price from retail investors? And also, did you get any assurances from your sponsor that they would be holding on to shares for the long term? Yeah, look, we looked at all options uh, as a company and, and decided, you know, once we met the, the Switchback team, we really decided they were the right partners for us. You know, Switchback One did the ChargePoint deal, and we liked what we saw there. And, and, you know, they really had similar mission and vision around reducing, you know, gas car trips globally, really trying to accelerate the transition to electric vehicles in the case of ChargePoint and in the case of Bird, you know, microelectric vehicles. And so we, we felt like Switchback was the best partner for us. At- Hey, Travis, anybody who lives in New York City knows uh, what the city has done to create lanes uh, for bicycles and scooters. Um, uh, But I wondered, is that happening everywhere at that pace? And do you see next year being even more dramatic on that front? Yeah, COVID really did accelerate the, you know, the rollout of of bike lanes and protected bike lanes all around the world. I know New York has certainly been doing that. And and the new mayor of New York is very, very pro-bike, I know. And he's pledged to roll out, you know, 300 million or, you know, 300 miles of protected bike lanes. And so we are seeing that really across the the world. And it's it's exciting to me to see the U.S. cities really start to close the gap on European cities. Obviously, Europe uh, has a lot more bike infrastructure. and, And so in a world where you know, we have these 3,000-pound gas cars moving people around, and the roads just can't really handle the traffic anymore. Um, we, we think it's refreshing to see, you know, cities really embrace more bike lanes and more microelectric vehicles to help people get around cities. I know the traffic in Manhattan is terrible, and uh, on average, I think the speed is 8 miles per hour. And you could take a, a bird scooter from one side of Manhattan to the other going 15 miles per hour and probably get there twice as fast. 
Well, Travis, while some cities like New York are embracing more bike lanes, other cities have really cracked down on sort of the regulatory issues since you first launched this company in 2017. I mean, I'm just thinking about the limits on the number of scooter companies that can operate can operate and how that's created some bidding wars. And then there's also this question of insurers who do consider these scooters more dangerous than bikes. How are you addressing those two issues? Yeah, we, we treat cities as our number one customer. We've built great relationships with cities uh, really across the, the world. And, you know, for us, you know, we go and we talk to a city we, and, and our, our mission and vision is very much aligned with every city. Every city I talk to wants less traffic, less carbon emissions, less parking problems. And the immediate solution to that is microelectric vehicle companies like, like Bird. Um, you know, I like to say we don't need tunnels. We don't need flying cars. We don't even need autonomous cars. We just need more bike lanes and more microelectric vehicles throughout cities. And so, you know, now that we're in over 350 cities across the world, I think it's a, it's a strong data point that cities really have embraced, you know, this form of, of, of transportation. And, you know, on, on the safety side, you know, I, you know if you look at uh, Bird, for, for example, uh, we only have one, you know, kind of medical incident for every 50,000 rides. So on a percentage basis, it's very low. Cars are about one in every 20,000 rides. And so, you know, I think for us, our mission is to get as many cars off the road as possible because we think cars are really the dangerous thing. And a world with more microelectric vehicles like Bird would be a, a safer world and also one that's more environmentally friendly. Well, certainly nobody likes traffic. Travis Vanderzanden, thanks so much for being with us today. Thanks, Julia. Another listing to keep an eye on this morning, that is NerdWallet, NRDS, going public via IPO, traditional IPO, that is. The stock is surging up, wow, more than 80% currently. I caught up with the CEO, Tim Chen, earlier this morning in a Tech Check live stream. Catch that whole interview online at cnbc.com slash techcheck or check out our Twitter feed. We are back in just two minutes. Pinterest, Airbnb, and Uber all reporting later today. Uber shares, they're down about 1% today's session. But guys, it's really been benefiting from Lyft's good results earlier this week. So the stakes are high here. They'll have to show some of those same trends of recovering driver supply and narrowing losses. Julia. Yeah, and I'm keeping my eye on Pinterest reports after the bell. And the big question there is, do we hear anything about Pinterest being in play? And Carl, will they be able to grow that user base? Yeah. Meantime, uh, oil below 81, guys. We continue to hear about potential supply uh, ex- supply surpluses in Q1. Hasn't uh, closed below 80 since October 8th. You've been listening to CNBC's Tech Check. You can always catch us live weekdays at 11 a.m. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.